When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Additionally, your host, Ryan Key. And coming up the rear, the third host, <laughs> my name is Nick Ganbarian. Hello. Like all the snow on Jackie Q. <laughs> so because we were just listening to the Get Him to the Greeks songs about butts. Yeah, real timely. We're like talking about Get Him to the Greek, which is like 10 years old probably at this point. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of that movie has not aged well in this climate. Coming up the rear. And we're also joined by a special guest, old friend Travis Miguel of Atreyu. What's up? What up? Hello there. Hello there. That was my uh, poor attempt at uh, Obi-Wan impression. I was impressed. It's Adam's <laughs> only form of greeting. <laughs> I use it all the time, and I think most people are like, is this guy a f- raper? I mean, what does hello there mean in this context? It is kind of creepy, isn't it? Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. No matter how you say it, it's creepy. And when you text it, it's not much less creepy. No. You have to jump down and pop up on a droid. Just kind of leave it to Sir Alec Guinness. Or throw a hood back. Yeah, either one. <laughs> we are here to talk about The Mandalorian chapters five and six, but before we dive into it, Travis, what is your very first Star Wars memory in life? I don't really have a specific singled out memory, but I just remember when I was a very little kid, that was right in the middle of the initial Star Wars craze, really. So I was essentially the perfect age for that. What year were you born? 79. Oh, same. Same. Bunch of old men here talking about <laughs> yep. science fiction. Star Wars podcasts and Call of Duty. I'm I just I'm being f- my best 40. That's what <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> what month were you born in the year of 79? I was born March 25th. Oh, he really gets to claim 70s a little more than we do. Yeah, we claim like bit. the last yeah. like couple weeks. We barely made the cut, Adam and I. <laughs> you didn't miss much. I still say it. I say it all the time. Yeah, try being born in the 70s. You know, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard time. Yeah. I was born in a different decade. You were. 1990. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. We claim Nam. You claim like Depeche Mode and Atari and yeah, shit. New Wave. Madonna. If you were born in 1990, though, it, it actually wouldn't be that strange like that you would be hanging out and on the podcast and stuff because yeah. you'd be 30. People who <laughs> were born in 1990 <sighs> are 30. Blows my mind. I'd be heavy prequel. Like, yeah, every reference I would have would be prequels. Yes. No, man, sequels suck. (laughs) Sorry, Travis, we cut you off. Tell us more about your childhood. So I was a little kid right in the midst of the first initial Star Wars craze. So there's literally, I don't remember a time where Star Wars, like, wasn't in my life. Yeah. And I was thinking about it the other day, like, if I had been born at any other time, I don't think I would have grasped onto Star Wars the way I did my entry level wouldn't have been at like age 35. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Star Wars is definitely something that I've been carrying with me for my whole life. We're all in the same boat. It's interesting to think about people who are like 
even just a few years outside of those margins, because you've got the prequels that when you think about it in the context of the whole thing, didn't come all that long after the originals. And then you've got folks in between the prequels and the sequels. And if you're in those, those limbo areas, it's got to be kind of weird just being like, I've never seen Star Wars and everyone being like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, you, you can tell that they're like, oh, I'm the odd person out and this is bizarre, but I'm going to try to own it and act like it's cool, but it's not cool. Or they see <laughs> us and they're like, what in the world <laughs> right. is wrong with these grown men? <laughs> Nothing. Leave me alone. I'm finding my own joy. Go away. Don't make me go get my lightsaber. Go do your taxes or something, old man. That's why we have a podcast. Because we are those people. Here we yeah, are. Grown men talking about laser swords and space wizards. Love it. This is the way. So again, we're talking about the Mandalorian chapters five and six. Let's get into the details. What have you done with those plans? So again, we're not going to repeat the original kind of IMDB details that we did in the first episode about the Mandalorian. But we can tell you that chapter five was written and directed by Dave Filoni, the chosen one. Chapter 6 was written by Christopher Yost, directed by Rick Famuyiwa, starring, of course, Pedro Pascal, but we don't really see anyone else from the prior episodes. We do have quite a few new additions for these episodes, though. Amy Sedaris as Pelimato, Che Cannavale as Toro Calican, Ming-Na Wen as Fennec Shan, Mark Boone Jr. as Ran, Bill Burr as Mayfeld, Natalia Tena as Xi'an, Clancy Brown as Berg, Richard Ayode as Zero, and Ismael Cruz Cordova as Quinn. Did you guys watch Crashing on HBO? I don't know what that is. Well, I don't watch a lot of comedy. Like, you just got mad at me for not watching The Good Place. I know it's awesome. Those types of shows just aren't in my wheelhouse of stuff I watch. So you think? It was Sometimes they land, so I'm not saying I'm not going to try it, but the show Crashing on HBO is amazing. It's Pete Holmes. He's a comedian, and he's huge now, but he basically stars as himself in kind of an autobiographical story of him like crashing on people's couches in New York when he was trying to make it as a comedian. And it was my first kind of exposure to Bill Burr, and I had no idea. And, dude, he's amazing on the show. Highly recommend. I binged it. I mean, I just I, I loved it. I want to know what happened to Pete next. Dude is so funny. And a great actor, it turns out. Yeah. From seeing him here, he's just like, I'm buying into Bill Burr stock. It was awesome. Mm. He was in Breaking Bad, too, for, for a little bit. He had a, a little bit of a reoccurring role in Breaking Bad. I remember when he came on screen in Mandalorian after watching his character on this show on HBO quite a bit and then watching some of his stand-up and stuff because of it, just going like, hmm, how's this going to go? And then immediately, <laughs> his first two lines, I was like, oh, he rips. I mean, he's kind of one of those actors where I feel like he's just being himself. You know, he's yeah. like yeah. lucky enough to be an actor and they're like, we need a Bill Burr type. Get us Bill Burr. Yeah. You know, that yeah. type of thing. But he, yeah. dude, there are people who can do that, especially with comedy like you're in. Vince Vaughn, like, yeah, another movie where Vince Vaughn is Vince Vaughn again. Cool, I'm in. But there are also some comedians who transcend that and they really pull off that thing that kind of only comedians do. Only people who are as introspective as comedians can be. And they become these amazing dramatic actors. The Jim Carrey's and Robin Williams of the world. Exactly. I'm such a nerd because I get goosebumps and get choked up about so much, so much shit. But you just even saying Robin Williams' name like fully just like got me. Not related to Star Wars and we'll get the train back on the rails. But also Robin's Wish, the documentary about Robin Williams' disorder and the actual circumstances of his passing. Oh, holy fuck. I haven't seen that. Well, knowing you. I've seen the HBO get one. two boxes of tissues. Oh, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. He was my dad's like favorite comedian of all time. I'm fucked. 
Yeah, it's called Robin's Wish. It's it's insane. All right, well, that, that's going in the queue. Just a little side note on the whole Bill Burr thing. I guess the story goes how he got the gig on The Mandalorian was he befriended John Favreau, and uh, Favreau actually asked him, you know, would you ever consider being on this type of show, like the Star Wars show? And Bill Burr is like a self-admitted, not a Star Wars guy. Yeah, I remember hearing at that. All. In fact, he almost he kind of clowns on Star Wars dorks like us. So it almost it was almost he got cast as a joke because he's just not a Star Wars guy at all, and they just thought it would be funny. That's amazing. I mean, but it worked. It's kind of the same thing with Werner Herzog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chapter five, thirty-five minute runtime. Chapter six, forty-one minutes. Next, of uh, we often go to filming locations. We have in a lot of movies. <laughs> this, of course, despite its return to the original, the most iconic filming location. It still all happened in that one soundstage in the volume. So wild. If nothing else proves the viability and like the paradigm shifting magnitude of this technology, it's that. Yeah. I kind of knew they were messing with it probably halfway through the episodes when I started reading articles about what they were doing. But when they showed up in Mos Eisley, not a single cell in my body stuttered. For a second, it was like, oh, yep, we're in Tunisia. We're there. This is real. Yeah. Holy crap. And thinking, I've talked about this before, thinking about them as the actors in the show, like when they're doing the, the speeder bike scenes and stuff like that, the fact mm-hmm. that that's just what it looked like to them. Like it was just a night yeah. scene in, so the ma- in the mountains and desert of Tatooine. And that's just what they were looking at. It's got to be so rad compared to the old green screen style. It's got to be so fun, dude. Plus, I think it makes their jobs as actors somewhat easier. Yeah. I've seen yeah. actors almost, you know, kind of complain about they have to respond or react to something that isn't even there in front of this gigantic green screen. And I think the technology behind the volume, you know, like you said, is definitely going to change things from here on out. Well, I think obviously the most skilled actors, I think, are theater trained actors who have always been working with that fourth wall vibe where there's there's nobody there but you're giving a monologue or you're doing you know not even a set there half the time so i'm sure it is challenging for some and and not at all for others but i try to like think about how cool it is for the one the performers that it's not challenging for to think about how much more insane their performances are going to be yeah in the fact that they're already able to develop that fourth wall for themselves and now it's you're gonna see those super highly talented trained actors actually reacting to real environments i mean it's a game changer all right let's get into the synopses of these two episodes break it down breaking down chapter five here we go we'll try to be quick with this which i've failed at the past two episodes well that's because i interrupt you every three points (laughs) I, i will shut up it's good with these because we talk about a lot and then we keep it slim on the back end was that another accident? Coming up the rear? <laughs> so, uh, chapter four, Mando was leaving Sorgan with the child, trying to get back out there away from the bounty hunters. We open chapter five, finding out right off the bat, no, they're all over him. They're, they're all coming around the backside. Um, we open with a space chase, another bounty hunter in pursuit of Mando. Mando takes out the bounty hunter's ship with... <laughs> I saw immediately the sickest Maverick, Top Gun, classic Pete Mitchell move. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hit the brakes and it'll fly right by. Exactly. I mean, it just, again, it goes to how much 
of a Top Gun fan Favreau is. Did you guys know that Adam and I like Top Gun a lot? <laughs> Every week I forget until you guys somehow mention it on our Star Wars podcast. Adam texts me two days ago, just totally randomly out of nowhere, texts me and says, yo, if uh, if Top Gun Maverick gets pushed to 2021, we have to make a pact that one of us is traveling so we can see it together. Yeah, right now it's um, December 23rd, which is rough. But if not, bro, yeah, we knew we're going to have to play beach volleyball before we see it. I feel the need, the, the need. need for speed. All right. Can you go back to Star Wars? I'm just blowing it. <laughs> Here we go. We're back. He pulls the classic Pete Mitchell move, nails this other bounty hunter. And heads on to Tatooine. Doesn't say Tatooine, it's not on screen, but when we hear a transmission from the Mos Eisley Tower, we're all like, yes. <laughs> so cool. Collectively, the whole world. Like, that's such a good little, like, just easing it in there. Like, oh, what yeah. planet is this? And it's just like, yeah. no fanfare, just like, uh, Mos Eisley here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome. So he lands at Docking Bay 35, meets a sassy older lady, a mechanic named Pelimato. She's kind of a Karen, let's be honest. She's kind of like, <laughs> Gives me like vibes of Ripley's sister from Alien. You know, totally. like they're related. I'm gonna blow your mind right now. You guys are gonna lose it. She looks like Richard Simmons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Straight up, Richard Simmons. She does. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's Richard Simmons' sister. I'm giving her role and character total carte blanche because I love Amy Sedaris. Like, if that was any other actress doing that kind of character i feel like i wouldn't have liked it but i love amy sedaris so i'm like it's cool amy sedaris is in star wars and she looks like richard simmons and it's like comic relief kind of it is oh that's great you just made my night (laughs) so he hires her to repair the ship leaves the child in the ship as a bad pseudo dad does goes into town there's some pretty sweet moments that i think i feel like we're in the trailer the skewered stormtrooper helmets right oh is that in the trailer Yeah. Such a great image right there. It's really establishing visually that we are post-Empire, like big time, as if we already didn't know. Like, it's just really driving it home. We cut back to Karen. We cut back to female Richard Simmons. um, And here comes the child out of the ship. Like, you can't, you can't just, you can't leave this kid. So she picks him up. She's like, oh, look at you. You know, that whole thing. And she's going to take care of him until the Mandalorian gets back and charge him extra, apparently. That creates kind of like a whole little subplot with her and, and the kid. Mando immediately following walks into the one and only most Eisley cantina same cantina from a new hope but this time it's different it clearly it's kind of empty kind of yeah, empty barren and things have changed not only are droids now allowed but they seem to actually be running the place bartenders droid droids everywhere there's bugs and crap all kinds of different species and things they got woke in nine years l3 would be proud We see R5-D4 with a bad motivator actually pull right up to the bar. And then the bartender is, it's the same model of droid from Jabba's Barge. We'll get into that specific, more specifically in Den of Antiquities. But it's a whole different place, but it's the same place. Pretty sweet. Speaking of what's exactly the same, Mando meets a dude named Toro Calican who offers him a bounty. And this dude is sitting in the exact spot in the booth where we meet Han in A New Hope. Same spot. Feet up on the table the whole nine yards. So Toro offers him this bounty, shows him the puck, and Mando's like, no, there's no way. This is like a, a high-end mercenary. You'll be dead in a second. Good luck. And Toro's like, no, man, come on. This is my first job. I need this. I'll give you my bounty. Just help me with this, right? So reluctantly, Mando's like, okay, whatever. Give me the tracker. 
Toro smashes it. He's like, no, I got it all in my head. And he's kind of, he's already playing kind of chess with him. So Mando goes back to the ship, sees that the child is out, kind of flips out, but then realizes it's all cool. Uh, Richard Simmons' sister is going to take care of the kid. Everything's going to be cool. So he goes to meet Toro. They head out on a couple of speeder bikes, which is dope. Halfway there to find this bounty, Fennec Shan is her name that I didn't mention earlier. They meet some Tuscan Raiders. This is actually really cool. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to step on Den of Antiquities a little bit right here, but they communicate with them with sign language. And it turns out that one of the Tuscan Raiders was actually a person who was deaf, who was speaking. I, I assume they actually consulted with the signing and everything, but that's kind of a cool moment. Not only is it just kind of cool on like an earth level there, but the fact that they're, they're communicating with Tuscan Raiders and they're not just shooting them. They're not just chopping them up with laser swords. Yeah. You've never seen any kind, any species interact with like humanoid or not interact with the Raiders in a peaceful manner before, before that moment, like or definitely not communicate with them. They're not just monsters. And I love how Mando says they think they're the locals. I mean, because they are, really. They've been there for longer than any of these folks from off-world, so it makes sense. I mean, you know, you think about any indigenous people, you think about Native Americans, you think think about aboriginals in Australia, they're looked at historically as savages, and there were, you know, even like colloquially, just like fun stuff, like, oh, cowboys and Indians, like, no, that's f***ed up. These people were here, and we f***ed up their whole lives, and it's cool to see these people actually humanized. So they make a trade. Because they have to pass through their land, so they um, so Mando trades Toro's binoculars, much to Toro's chagrin, for passage through their land. They come up uh, shortly on a dewback, dragging a body. At first glance, they're like, "Oh, is that Fennec Shan? Is she dead?" So they go down to check it out. Turns out to be a trap. Fennec is off in the distance sniping. She snipes Mando. It's far enough away that you know it hits the best car, and he's cool. So he bails, goes back, and it's like, "Okay, well." Nothing's going to happen until after sunset, until after the sun's set. So they wait. Yeah. So cool. Look, it's been a while. And she looks over and she's like, the suns are coming up. Right. All that shit is so cool. So they wait till after sunset and they head back out. It's the best plan they can come up with, essentially. They just need to bolt across this valley as fast as they can on the speeder bikes and fire off flares in the darkness because she's going to be watching with night vision. So if they fire off a flare, that's going to blind her. That's the plan, right? Balls of Beskar. Right. So they, they make it across. Mando actually gets shot off his speeder halfway, but they make it there. There's a little bit of fighting, but they capture her. Essentially, they get her at gunpoint. They're almost there. They've got the bounty, right? But they're down one speeder, so they can't just take her back. So the plan is they're going to go back and get the do back and then meet up with the speeders and take off. First, Mando was like, you go get it. And then Toro was like, no, bro. Told you I'd give you the bounty, but I'm not, I'm not just going to you know let you bolt. So. Mando goes to get to Dubak, and in the meantime, pretty much from like nightfall until morning, it takes Mando to get back there. Fennec is talking to Toro and kind of, you know, when the sun comes up, kind of kind of seducing him a little bit. Suns. Yeah, the, sorry, the suns come up. <laughs> seducing him a little bit like, you know, there's a story about this Mandalorian that so-and-so and tries to, kind of, you know, kind of puts his shit on Front Street and basically says the bounty on him or the reward for bringing him in is going to be bigger than anything. All, all that Beskar. Probably not a lie, really, you know? She's, yes, using it to get out of the situation, but she's probably telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. She says something about his, his armor alone is worth more yeah. than my bounty. Right. So we're, we're seeing the, the seeds planted for everything to kind of go shitty. So Toro kind of buys in to this. He's like, okay, this is a good idea. 
but then is also thinking, what good is she to me? I'm, I'm, I'm going to blast her. I'm going to double down on this, double the double cross. So Toro fails. He's going to most Eisley, knowing that Mando is going to be heading back this way and he's going to find nothing and he's going to beat him there and be ready to like get him. So Mando pulls up, sees dead Fennec and is like, okay, well, this kid pulled one on me. So he heads back to Mos Eisley. Nope. Do-dum, 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 <laughs> on the, on the do back. So Mando finally makes it back to Mos Eisley. He shows up at docking bay 35. Toro's there already. He's captured the child. He has Pelly at gunpoint. He's trying to use them as ransom to capture Mando, bring him in, score, you know, come out as like, you know, on, on his first job, he got this Mandalorian. He did all this sweet shit. Mando uses a flare, blinds him, distracts him, and then shoots the dude. Just caps him. Cold-blooded. Cold-blooded. He shot first. There's some straight murder in these two episodes. If it, listen, I'm going to say, if he didn't shoot him, I was going to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> in order to escape, he had to do what he had to do. So this pretty much wraps it up. But a little like what would be a Marvel post-credits teaser, we see... A person, a mystery person, walking up on the body of Fennec Shand. We hear a little bit of jingling of spurs and some radio frequency kind of sort of uh, background noise. We see this person walking up on Fennec Shand. The, I mean, who in the world doesn't suspect this is Boba Fett? Yeah. The person's also wearing a cape. Yep. Yeah, I mean, three for three. It's like one of those things where you just wouldn't notice either of those details unless you had a Star Wars podcast and knew that <laughs> Boba Fett's, uh, every time he stepped, you heard spurs. And uh, I can't remember where you hear that kind of radio frequency whirling, but it's definitely related to Boba somewhere. So we'll see what they do with that. I mean, that's definitely setting something up. We will see. Let's also give credit to those who aspire to have a Star Wars podcast who do not yet. Yeah. Who would be on the level. Let's be honest. Most people who probably haven't even thought about having a Star Wars podcast put that shit on the internet, and that's where we dug up the dirty details of it. (laughs) All right. Chapter six. Mando lands at a station, a space station, run by a dude named Ran, looking for a bounty job. This dude, Ran, who has a long, sweet beard, explains to him that there's an associate that needs to be broken out of jail, he doesn't say jail. He keeps it pretty vague at first. And they need the Razor Crest to complete the mission. So it's like, got this crew built. We just need the ship. You brought the ship. Because the ship's got a scraped off VIN number yeah. and, and like no registration. Yeah. Stolen plates. It's kind of under the radar for Empire and New Republic. So it's the perfect ship to do the job. The Razor Crest to me has a uh, like an old Republic vibe to it. Like yeah. at one point, it seems like it might have been super shiny and new like queen amidala's ship kind of vibe you know what i mean it's got that curvy prequel old republic vibe to it and it's like he got it off a used car lot because someone had scraped the vin numbers off of it like in different circumstances mr miyagi would have kept that shit real shiny and gave it to a kid with a tall butt yeah (laughs) we all know what i'm talking about we do kids proportioned real weird (laughs) all right so mando meets the crew mayfeld former imperial sharpshooter Berg, a Deveronian, Zero, a droid, and Xi'an, a Twi'lek, or Twi'lek, depending on where you're from. Ren mentions that uh, Mando used to run with his crew of mercenaries and alluded to Mando and Xi'an's past. Maybe they got down. Maybe the helmet came off. Maybe it didn't. She said a lady never tells. A lady never tells. Zero runs a diagnostic on the Razor Crest, comes across this hollow of Greek carga, mentioning the asset, so he's like, hmm. 
I'm gonna have to look into this. I think he says curious. Curious. Cut to Mayfeld laying out the plan. Mando finds finds out that the job is a little more than he thought. It's a prison break, actually. Not just a job. It's a New Republic prison ship. So he's like, man, what is this? This thing's fully fortified. You guys are stupid. This is more than I bargained for. But Zero's like, no, there are mercenaries that have better ships for the job than Razor Crest. This is not the best. But Rand's like, no, this is, this is the only ship that doesn't have a VIN number. It's off the grid. We need the ship. So shut up, droid. We're going to do this. So Mando, Mando's like, okay, we're going to do it. He brings him in the ship. They kind of take off. And it's such like an, an, an amazingly done kind of little character dialogue, but it's the kind of thing that makes me so uncomfortable. And it's in so much a thing in like crime and suspense movies that I, like sometimes I can't hang with that. I'm just like, oh God, everything's going to go. It's going to go bad. It's going to go bad. I know it. Like their vibe between each other is like anyone could kill anyone at any moment, you know, that. Yeah, they don't seem like a team that's very loyal to each other. No. Like, these are, like, some of the moments where I'm like, damn, Bill Burr is legit. Yeah. They're going back and forth, and the, uh, what's his name? The dude, Berg, with the, you know, if we talk about the uh, the Disney Gallery episodes, Favreau says specifically, like, all the loser, no-attention <laughs> species from Star Wars, we put them all in this show. He's one of the dudes, you know? He's one from the original Mos Eisley Cantina, that species that's where this dude came from, you know, but he's the, he's the big bulky dude. And he's, he's really antagonizing Mando to giving him shit about his helmet, tries to take it off. They start to kind of go back and forth. They're starting to flex on each other and they're pushing and whatever. Mando hits the button of the closet there where the child is, it pops open and they're all like, what's that? Is it a pet? You know, they get into that whole thing, which gave me the most anxiety of the entire show. I was like, (laughs) if anybody's going to kill this kid, it's going to be these assholes. And I was freaking out was not having fun at this point mayfeld picks up the child I mean, dude the moment when he's like got it and he like acts like he drops the child you know how like every bully asshole in the world from high school and elementary school that you remember would be like oh what are you gonna do what are you gonna do with your like yeah <laughs> oh god i wanted to, i just i wanted to kill him it's funny also holding the child you really see the uh the puppet the, the practical effects there you yeah. know what i mean I like yeah, it. It weighed like less than a pound. Yeah. He yeah. just like lifted yeah. it up like, yeah. like right over his head. Like, oh, I thought it'd be heavier. <laughs> Fully static. The ears are just like just knocking it. Like he got, got it straight from the target toy section. While all this is going on, Zero drops out of hyperspace and begins this like crazy maneuver to get in under the radar into the ship. And everybody's just knocking around like he's pulling these sick moves. And they get docked on there. Crew enters the prison ship which is like really well shot. This was one moment where I was like, damn, this is like solid filmmaking. The way they Mayfeld pops down out of the thing. It's just really good. Go back and watch it and just like study how well this is done. So they're, they're creeping through the halls and they see some prisoners in the cells here and of different species, including an Ardinian like Rio from Solo with all his arms. They see a mouse droid that Berg shoots. Little mousey. Pops him off. And when he does... They're all like, oh, man, what the hell? Why are you shooting? Because, of course, like, the guard droids are going to show up as soon as he shot, which they do, and they get they get into it. They're kind of getting in the shootout, and Mando just kind of disappears, and they're like, where the fuck did he go? And then he pops up behind them and just nails all these droids, knocks them out, kind of proves himself in that moment. They then get to the main security control room where they find there's actually a human there. So Mando was told that it's all droids. Originally, he was like, no, I'm not about this. I'm getting into stuff that's kind of over my head at this moment. 
I'm not trying to kill anybody. We can see him kind of starting to lean towards a little more sympathetic, a little more compassionate version of Mando. And this is really an indicator like, no, I'm not down. But they're there, so they have to do it. So they get into the control room, this one human manning the entire ship, and they get into this awesome, like, Tarantino-style standoff. Guns on everybody. And Mando's trying to de-escalate. Everybody else is trying to escalate, of course. It's like, let's just kill this dude. Let's just get it over with. And he's like, he puts the gun away. He's like, hey, 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 slow down. Talk to me. Look at me. Which is really cool. Again, he's got a mask on, but he's like making this awesome human connection, this like negotiator style thing. And then homegirl, the Twi'lek, ends up throwing a knife at the dude, killing him. Straight murder again. More Mandalorian murder. Like, what's his name uh, in Heat? He was making a move. I had to get it on, man. I had to get it on. <laughs> Wangro. Wangro, yes. She goes straight Wangro on this dude. <laughs> and then it's on from there. Like, all bets are off pretty much. And what really sets it off is the dude had this remote in his hand. He doesn't have a gun, so, but he's got this remote that's going to call the New Republic with a distress signal, which means basically like... Hey, come blow this place up. Yeah, like it's like self-destruct, like the prisoners have escaped, blow it up. So he falls dead. They look at the remote and one of them's like, was that flashing before? It's like, nope, uh, here it comes. We're screwed. So Zero says there's 20 minutes before the New Republic ship shows up. So they go to get the prisoner. Once they bust him out, we learn that the prisoner is actually Sheehan's brother, another Twi'lek. His name's Quinn. So now that this is happening, like, I mean, you can just tell by their vibes. It's like, oh, this isn't good. They're going to pull some shit on, on Mando. He's kind of screwed, which is how it turns out. They kind of ambush him. They push him into the cell, and they bail. They lock him in. So Zero's back in the Razor Crest. He's watching the hollow from grief, and he decodes it, you know, because at first he was, it was scrambled, but he gets the whole thing, and, he, and it's like, oh, screw this dude. New shit has come to light, man. <laughs> so Mando, in the meantime, breaks out in, like, the sweetest... I don't know who to compare this to, like what kind of, what movie character to compare this to, but he, he shoots, you know, his scorpion thing at one of the droids, yanks it to the door. Get over here. Get over here. Rips his arm off, pulls the arm in and uses the little computer interface droid thing to unlock himself. Gets out. Zero alerts the rest of the crew that Mando's escaped. And Mando's just start, it's like he just, he was in Call of Duty or PUBG and he just, you know, took a shot of his like energy booster or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm going to level up now. I'm going to knock all these dudes out. And he goes into full, like full blown stalker mode. The scene is like, it's straight up Sigourney Weaver, original alien style, closing the blast doors, you know, to like pin them in. The lights are all flashing and red and it's pretty rad. And it gets to like one of my like maybe top three scenes in the whole series so far. Mando turns off all the comms, so they're shut out from zero. It's all scrambled. The child is also, funny enough, the child becomes like, he's like Chucky style, creeping on zero, you know? You're looking at him like, he's going to eat this droid. He's going to like decapitate and eat this droid. Mando makes it to the bridge, gets the distress signal comm, and then after this one by one, Mando... Wipes out this crew, creeping through the shadows, popping up behind them, pulling the most gangster shit ever. Fights Berg in the control room, which is pretty gnarly. Ends up beating him. This dude is like flame resistant and everything. I thought it was for sure more murder when the blast doors close on it, like on his face. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he straight up died. I I thought it was just like dead as shit, but not. Like he's like 
well, you'll get to it, but he's like rubbing his head later in the cell. It's like, uh, really? Yeah. Interesting. This dude's Wolverine skeleton status. Yeah. Yeah. But the best one, when he takes out Mayfeld at the end, the lights are kind of strobing. It's red. It's coming. It's going from pitch black to just kind of a strobing red. And as Mando is approaching him from behind, he's like jumping from place to place because it's out just long enough for him to sneak up. And then the last moment we see him all of a sudden not behind him anymore. And Mayfeld turns around and he's there on the other side, just like, it's like full it's, on like horror movie status. It's like, uh, Batman begins. Yes. <laughs> here. Dude. Very much Where Batman. Are you? Yeah. Here. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's incredible. And knocks him out. We think these dudes are all dead. So he gets back to the razor crest and it's the shot of the child in the closet. He snuck back there. Zero has, he's been chasing him. He's been chasing little, little Chucky. The door comes up, Zero sees him, and he's going to like, he's like, oh, looks like I'm going to have to blast this little thing. He raises the blaster, and the child looks at him, raises his hand. Closes his eyes. Like he, closes his eyes like he's about to use the force. And all of a sudden, there's like this explosion, sparks flying, there's this blast, and the, <laughs> the, child, the child looks at his hand like, I didn't, did I do that? I didn't know I could do that. And then it cuts back, Zero drops, and it was Mando behind him. He blasted him. He saved the child again. So... Mando takes the Razor Crest back to Rand Station to deliver. Quinn, technically, he did the job. Rand asks what happened to the rest of the crew. Mando's like, no questions asked, right? That's the policy. So Rand's like, okay, yep, that's it. Mando gets in the Razor Crest to leave. And of course, in one last twist, one last play, Rand, he radios somebody and he says, kill him, as Mando's taken off. As this is happening, we see Quinn finding the distress signal come. So Mando had slipped it in. Another twist had slipped it in. So now the new Republic ships are coming to blast the space station because he knew everybody was trying to fuck him. So we see these three new Republic X-Wings show up. You know, they just light up the whole thing and they take him out. Mando escapes. Everything's awesome. He gives the child the control knob to play with as the final scene closes. All is good. Cute babies. Dead bad guys. We do also know that they all survive in the in the cell on the prison freighter. It cuts, yeah, it cuts to that at the very end. It's like, it's a nice little reminder that Mando isn't so savage, and he's kind of he's getting woke as woke as a mercenary, uh, less murdery, <laughs> less murdery for a bounty hunter. It also made me think of like the days that everybody probably on this call can relate to when you still had to worry about whether or not MTV would play your video. We had this with our second video where everybody yeah. died at the end. And it was like, no, nah, man, uh, they're not going to play it. So at the end, let's just have them all sit up like they're going to live. Dude, like everyone's alive. We had to do a- an alternate version of our video that we w- literally won a video music award for. Like outside the band too, I was, I'd say like of all, I mean, of all the music videos, I mean, I'm, I've never been a huge music video fan. Like I don't watch them, but Ocean Avenue is a pretty sick video. It's, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> director just nailed it like the second i read the treatment i was like uh this is rad it was like run lola run meets snatch and and uh lock stock and two smoking barrels like it was it was just it was rad but either way point being you bring that up it's funny i haven't thought about this in years but we had to do an alternate version in case where it wasn't me it was a stunt guy but like the the me the guy was playing me didn't jump out of the window like 
Yeah. It wasn't a, at all like a suicidal thing or anything like that in the story, but we had to do it because everyone was afraid. Like, well, if we just send it over with this dude jumping out of the window, MTV may not play it. Yeah. Funny tangent there. It, they, we ended up getting to use the real one, which is great. Great. We didn't have to use the alternate version, but I know exactly what you're talking about. We had two things that were so annoying. Our second video, which was our biggest song directed by Johan of Lincoln Park. Sweet video that we spent all kinds of money on. Everybody, all the kids that like come in that are like, that have gone crazy, like the crows, like Hitchcock style, they all just lose their shit in this place that we're playing in this indoor weird forest thing. And they all just like die for whatever reason. It was just a very like imagery metaphorical style. And at the end, they had to just sit up for like a split second. So no one thought, oh, what if they're dead? <laughs> and then on our second album, we had a thing where these kids were stealing a six pack of beer from a 7-Eleven. And just to make sure that we didn't get denied, as the kids were running out, they threw money. <laughs> so them being underage <laughs> and throwing the money and stealing it is okay, but not just stealing $8 worth of beer. Well, they don't play videos anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. So f*** them. <laughs> Moving on. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. A certain point of view where we air our gripes and we do our best to defend them. Or analyze the gripes of others. Correct. This show, again, low gripe count. Yeah, yeah. Ho holding with the tradition of The Mandalorian so far, not, not a lot of gripes. I kind of got to dig for them. I, I will offer mine. Feel free to voice your opinions. Well, before you do, has anyone heard any gripes from the public? Anyone? Travis? Nick? I haven't. It's pretty much been like unanimous. This show is awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I maybe didn't go deep enough to find specifics for these episodes. I mean, specific to these episodes, I would say the fact that they're very much so standalone episodes kind of threw people for curves. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's a new way to or a, a way for Favreau and Filoni to let everyone know how star wars television might be it might not be totally serial there might be like monster of the week type of things mm -hmm. i'm not so sure that they're going to do that in the future but they for sure did it for at least two episodes in this season i mean maybe yeah. you want to even say episode four was so Agreed. there was like four five six were kind of just like standalone stories that didn't push the narrative uh forward but i still think that they were you know six more so than five were it was a good episode you know like i was entertained from my certain point of view, the standalone episode vibe, the monster of the week thing, actually really, I don't know if it hit me more in episode four or five. Being also a Star Trek fan, I was like, oh, sick. This is kind of like Star Trek in the Star Wars universe. I'm down. If they're doing monster of the week, that means they're in for the long haul. And that stokes me mm -hmm. on this whole thing. Yeah, I, I feel like I've mentioned how this whole thing to me feels so heavy handedly influenced by like old Western serials and how it's just kind of each week is in. in I, I think of like um, Rick Dalton in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like <laughs> like each week yeah. is a new bounty, you know, and so it's like its own story. Yeah. And then some some of this has that vibe, like it's just a new adventure for the Mandalorian every week on the show, you know, and I, I don't think they're all going to be like that, but you know, yet to be seen for season two from the trailer season two. I get the vibe that they may not stick with that vibe. It seems like there's a very deliberate, very deeply 
Star Wars story woven into season two, but but we'll we'll see. They're pitching it hard. Yeah, we'll it see. seems like there's a lot of meat on the bones now. Yeah, there's a lot of there yeah. there. So, but <laughs> so. I agree with you. I, I it didn't bother me, and there are things in it that that moved the, his character along. We talked about it already a little bit in the breakdowns of the episodes. Like he is becoming a little more conscious of of like his purpose, and it's not just a murder death kill everyone i think there's an evolution through these two episodes even more of his you know i don't know the humanity in his character um my gripe i got one i just i have one specific gripe have you guys seen the new geico commercial we've got ants it's really good expired <laughs> expired it's really it's pretty good yeah you know geico i have seen that yeah geico's still crushing they make some good commercials for sure it's probably the same ad firm that started the the cavemen you know for them but not Cool. <laughs> but uh, I only say we got ants because there's just an ant sitting at the bar in the cantina, <laughs> a giant alien ant. And one of the things I love. From an alien ant farm. One, <laughs> one of the things I love about the Mandalorian and Rogue One, as I've talked about at length, is this sort of feeling of reality that they've brought to it. This sort of grounded, less fantastical kind of thing. You know, where like mm-hmm. you feel like you're on the ground in Moss Eisley and it's dirty and it's grimy and it's real and it's just this bar. And it's like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is amazing. We're back in the cantina. And, and the difference being <laughs> if you watch A New Hope, yeah, there's a lot of ridiculous shit in the cantina. Like there's a lot of you remember that we talked about in Empire Dreams. Even I think the doc, George Lucas was like, oh, God, you know, like when he came in to see yeah. all the all the like the set of it, he just was like, what, what is it? What have you guys done? What have you done? This is like comedy. It's just con- all these different things. It's, it's ridiculous. But you open on the bar, the cantina this time, and it's like empty. And it's like got that wild West, like saloon doors swinging and the dust kicking as he walks in. And I can't look away from the from freaking <laughs> honey. I shrunk the kid size ant <laughs> sitting at the bar. So that's my only gripe. Why was uh Tatooine and most Eisley just like not, as busy as it was in like a new hope is it because jabba's dead and there are no longer the scum and villainy they're just not there anymore is it because the empire no longer exists like i would imagine that the empire is doing a lot less shady deals through the hut cartel and whoever else where you know they would be doing stuff running bounty hunters and things like that you know that were against the law you know, right. there is an official answer, right, Nick? Uh, I'm not sure, but what Travis said really kind of makes sense to me. I mean, like, yeah, I think it's good speculation. Jabba being gone, Empire being gone. I mean, it's outer rim, so it's kind of out of the way. It's probably just kind of desolate at this point. I'm almost positive that someone, I can't remember where this was said, mentioned that it isn't now, you know, now with the, with the Empire gone, there, there isn't as much crime to be done per se. And because it's out of room, it's like all the stuff you guys are saying together um, just made it not as much of a necessity as like a place for people to go hide out. It's more like the empire has fallen. The new Republic isn't fully up and running yet. So every, everything's kind of just a free for all around the whole galaxy. That's the vibe I got. Like you don't need to go hide in the outer rim to do shady shit. It's like, we're going to do what we want everywhere. Yeah. But to respond to your, your bug comment, you, you basically said it all. The, everything I would respond with was the stuff in the cantina, even in A New Hope, is so goofy looking. I know. <laughs> Nothing bothers me. But this was, a, this was a chance to avoid that. 
What if he was wearing like a vest, like McLovin, like Aladdin? Would that make him better? What the hell is that? It's a vest. I'm, I'm trying to look older. You look like Pinocchio. No, it's just a vest. I, I mean, it really... A cardigan? It really took me out of it. That's all I'm going to say. A turtleneck. And it, and there's a bunch of shots. And it's like little pincers or like, like, what is it doing? What are you drinking, bro? But like, give me a pint of uh, goop. Yeah, no. How does it drink? Yeah. I don't know. Like, the grossest drinker in the whole place. Everyone's bummed when that dude shows up. Like, oh, God, here's Gary. Well, he's the only God. one in the place. It's like him and two other dudes at another table and Toro. That's it. That's why it sticks out. Yeah. Everybody's like, like, dude, thought maybe this babe here was into me, but this aunt is so gross, she just bailed. Yep. Go and beat Gary's ass. Gary Bader. Gary the aunt. All right, let's move into some fun stuff. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark Satan. Oh, gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. The Den of Antiquities. Easter eggs, fun facts, tidbits. There's some cool ones in this. Some quotes, specifically. And some little bits, some droids, some things. I mean, Tatooine, in general, most Eisley, is a big, giant, glowing, golden Easter egg. Yeah. Every bit of it. few good quotes here. Little subtle ones. First one that I noticed was, Mando saying to Toro, she's no good to us, dead. Talking about Fennec Shan. Repeating Boba Fett's line about Han. He's no good to me dead. Talking about the carbon freezing. That's good. Subtle. The next one from Mando, throwing back to the prequels, talking again about Fennec Shan. She has the high ground. We know how it goes when you got the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) Another little tidbit from the prequels, the pit droids on Tatooine from the pod races. They're the worker droids. They're the mechanic assistants in Karen's garage. I just got to call her Karen. I'm sorry. She looks like a Karen. Uh, Richard Simmons, man. Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons <laughs> wants to speak to the manager. I hope we never want to have her on as a guest. I love her. <laughs> I love Amy Sedaris. I don't know. Maybe she would take it in stride. One of my best friend's mom is actually named Karen, so. Oh, I'm more talking about the fact that we've just repeatedly called her Richard Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> I think Amy Sedaris would crack up if I said, you know what your character looks like? Richard Simmons. I think she's funny enough of a person to be like, oh my God, that's hilarious. We'll ask her when she comes on the show. (laughs) Uh, We talked about the droids running the cantina where they weren't allowed nine years before. Short turnaround. It's a quick wokening of Tatooine right there. I'm about that. Speaking of those droids, Mark Hamill actually voiced the bartender droid EV-99, who is the same model as the droid, sort of like the intake droid on Jabba's. Yeah, he's, he's like down in the basement, like down in the garage. This protocol droid might be useful. Fit him with a restraining bolt and take him back up to his excellency's main audience chamber. While the gonk droids are getting branded on the feet, he doesn't give a fuck about discretion. No. I think you ripped somebody's jawbone off. I synced it. <laughs> like we talked about Toro in Han's spot in the cantina, feet up on the table the whole nine. That was like, man, seeing everything, we already kind of discussed this, but seeing everything in all its glory and its new modern 4k glory was just so intense so amazing it's a time machine for sure walking up to fennec's dead body we talked about that probably boba the republic mouse droid little bits yeah that one's that one's in, interesting to me and there's not much to it but really the only time we've ever seen a mouse droid has been like in an imperial ship mm-hmm. so that was on a republic yeah. ship reprogrammed yeah. like k2so yeah. 
And or just like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Flippy for real. Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, just like his character in The Last Jedi said, like, sell to the good guys, sell to the bad guys, like, yep. whatever. The Ardenian Prisoner, we mentioned. Rio Durant's species from Solo. Who John Favreau voiced in Solo. Probably said that 1,000 times on our podcast. But <laughs> Hey, new people listen, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah, go back and listen to the other, other episodes. Welcome. And lastly, I love this one. Matt Lanter, voice of Anakin Skywalker in The Clone Wars, is the Republic Guard in the prison ship. That's him in the flesh. Did not know that. Not just a voice actor, also a face actor. That was probably a pretty cool phone call to get. Yeah, it's just Filoni taking... Filoni called him. Yeah, you want to come do this thing? That was probably rad. Good shit. Anything else anyone else noticed? I caught a uh, beginning of episode five. I could totally just be overanalyzing this, uh, but the maneuver that Mando uses in the Razor Crest when the other bounty hunter is behind him and firing on him is essentially the same maneuver that Luke does in Return of the Jedi on the speeder bike. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that hard Again, turn. I could, I could totally be overanalyzing it, but maybe it is a throwback or a call. Yeah, I mean, Luke did it before Maverick did it, really. So, <laughs> so much of that stuff, I feel like, even if it's not a direct callback, it just through osmosis soaks into an artist's brain, just like riffs, just like melodies. You have that moment where you're like, you're playing something or you're singing something. You're like, what is that? Yep. What is that? And no one in the room can remember what it is. And like. That's our song now, you know? Yeah. That has to happen with filmmakers every day, every second of every day. I love that. Lastly, this isn't as much of an Easter egg if you've watched, which you haven't, Ryan, f***ing up your whole life. The X-Wing pilots are the directors of this. Yeah. So it's Dave Filoni. Deborah Chow. And Rick Famuyua. Yeah. And it's really great how Filoni talks about it. They're so casual. And just kind of, uh, it's, uh, they're just talking like this. Um, yeah, very matter of fact, like, okay, what do we got to do now? Yeah, we got a signal. Uh, looks like uh, they're about to launch a so-and-so. Gunship. Uh, hey, you guys, looks like they're launching a gunship. Yeah, okay. It's definitely a signal. <laughs> like, at first glance, it's like, really? That's how they talk? But if you've heard actual recordings or seen actual footage of real pilots on yeah, earth fighter pilots astronauts all of them they're just like um yep we're engaging in the dogfight now um i'm firing a <laughs> missile and uh yep target eliminated yeah we've uh we're engaging three bogeys <laughs> uh firing sidewinders the most high uh, stress yeah you're at you're turning at two g's yeah all the skin like, on your face is just you could die at any moment <laughs> but that's what it takes to do those jobs like i've met pilots actually we played this really bad like county fair or something once and the blue angels were there they were the day before us but they came early and like came to the show and we all raged together that's rad and we were so like both groups were just so geeking out on the others they didn't want to talk about fighter jets we didn't want to talk about music but neither of us could stop yeah. you know i was like dude okay so in top gun you know how <laughs> there it is again and he's like dude okay when you guys are on stage do you you know and we just couldn't shut up but when they would start speaking and kind of pilot speak, they had that like very finite language. Their tone would just level out. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's um, this is how we do it. You know, 12 hours, bottle to throttle, you know, I'm, I cut it off at midnight. You know, we, we have the show at uh, noon and, uh, you know, it's fully how those dudes are. So it was really, really cool to see that and then hear Filoni explain it. Bottle to throttle. Put down your, your butt select at midnight. <laughs> I love you. I know. 
Favorite scenes, favorite quotes. I did not find these episodes to be very quote rich for me. So I'm going to just cop out. I don't, I'm not even going to go with a favorite quote, but I do. You got nothing? Well, I mean, we, the medal ceremony, there's some quotes. The fans voted, you know, the patrons voted. So we'll let, they can have it. They can have quotes this week. I just don't, there wasn't one that I would be like, yes. Okay. Pelly says something like, was it just too loud for your big, your big little ears or whatever she says, your really big ears. That was good. But I do have a scene and it's not even like a, a long thing. It's not a big event. We've already mentioned it actually in this recording, but it's what I had planned to offer as my favorite. Um, and it is just a moment. And the reason it's my favorite is because it was in the trailer and then it appeared in this episode finally. And it's the moment when he walks by the stormtrooper helmets on this on the spikes in yeah. in Moss Eisley. I mean, really, that is my favorite thing in these two episodes because I remember seeing the trailer and I remember that moment so specifically being the real back of my neck hair standing up chills moment of wow, we are stepping into some Star Wars that's never been done before. Like it's it seems like it's going to have all the things that that I love about the more Rogue One style of of Star Wars that's being made now. And I remember that image so well. So when it popped up in this episode, it was just like, oh, yeah, dude, you know, the remnants of the Empire. I I love it. And yeah, shout out to set designers and prop masters everywhere for doing what you do, because mm-hmm. it's some of the moments like that that are the most iconic in film. And I think you guys can be unsung heroes. So absolutely. Well, well done to the crew of, of the Mandalorian for that, that moment and making such an iconic image for us to remember from th- that episode. Nick, what do you got? Favorite quote. I like when Mayfeld kind of mentions the Gungans, you know, it's like not a good quote, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that he's like, uh, you so don't want to show your face. Yeah. I was just like, ah, oh, that's great. Thank you. Jar Jar forever. <laughs> uh, and favorite scene. I mean, I would just go with, uh, to me, the thing that really stoked me out the most was actually, like I said, the like low fanfare, him kind of communicating with the most obviously like docking bay. Mm-hmm. That was just such a good experience for me. I, I remember being like on tour and watching it at like 3 a.m. on my iPhone. And I was like, tired because it was so late but i had to stay up to watch mando and i just remember kind of like having my eyes open and like it's almost like really spacey in my head like did he really just say most Eisley? like oh is he going yeah. to tatooine this is amazing so yeah. to me it's like not a great scene necessarily but like i just remember how my brain reacted to it when it first happened it was great tatooine just in general like we, i just keep beating this horse I keep petting this horse with my soft vegan hand. Um, <laughs> it is so much fan service, but uh, how how can you not excuse this fan service as just and just recategorize it as the sweetest shit ever? Because you know what I mean. Uh, but that's the thing is, mo- no one is that. That's like Travis said earlier about how it's just universally loved. That's not a thing that's happening. Where it's something that happens in the films a lot, and it's it's just it's so ridiculous. Like oh. So the Star Destroyers are too much fan service for you, but everything in the Mandalorian isn't like, I I don't know, drives me crazy, (laughs) but yeah, it's just, I don't think people, I think they're nailing it so far with the fan service stuff. Real talk. Travis, favorite stuff. You don't have to pick a single. I mean, let it rip. Well, one thing that 
kind of, you know, it made me chuckle was in uh, episode six when Ran is kind of informing Mando about uh, Mayfeld and how he was a uh, formal Imperial sharpshooter. Yeah. And, and Mando's like, well, that's not saying much. Yeah. And Mayfeld just turns around and goes, I wasn't a stormtrooper, wise ass. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious because it's like. So it's, good. It's, it's Star Wars kind of poking fun at itself. Yeah. Which I thought was great. It's like just barely side eye glancing through the fourth wall. Right. Exactly. But yeah, also too, what Ryan, kind of piggybacking off of what Ryan was saying with the stormtrooper helmets on, on the spikes. Like that was, if I remember correctly, that was like one of the first images in the trailer. And I remember seeing that as well. And just being like, I had zero context. I didn't know what was going on or what the circumstances were, but I didn't need to. Cause as soon <laughs> yeah. as I saw it, I was just like, yep, I'm in sign yeah. me up. Like, not that it takes a whole lot to sell me on anything star Wars related, right. but just that image itself. I was like, awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, man. That episode, that chapter specifically is, I think the most lighthearted and goofy of all the eight, I would say. It's got a little bit of darkness here and there, but it's it's pretty lighthearted. And, and What's-Her-Name's character is very jovial, and the dynamic with the child is, oh, look at you all, you got little big ears, you know. But it also has the most, like, foreboding shot in almost the whole thing, yeah. like you're saying, those those helmets on the spikes. It's interesting and almost ironic now, thinking of the trailer and now seeing all the episodes and knowing where that one image came from out of all eight, you know? Yeah. Filoni, that's our boy. My favorite quote, I'm going to have to copy and say the Gungan quote. It was just... (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Very solid. That quote delivered poorly could be like, not only way less cool, but just kind of be like almost annoying. Like, oh, nice try, but that was kind of annoying. But it's, it feels so perfectly in universe, even though it's meant to be like, it could easily just be like a fourth wall break. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but it just rolled off his tongue like vernacular. Like, you know, everybody everybody in the galaxy would get that joke kind of vibe. Exactly, yeah. Like, the people in the galaxy make fun of them as much as we fans do. Yeah. All right, season two, I'm going out on a limb right now. There's going to be a Gungan somewhere. Not Jar Jar, a Gungan. Let's do it. Sure, I'm down. Dude, I'm, I'm about it. Just the background, like a cantina yeah. Gungan drinking, you know? Have him fall off his stool. I could write this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the drunken master. That should be fulfilled. The conspiracy. Yeah, it's just, I I feel like that's one of those things that only a comedic actor could pull off. And like, especially like a very cynical comedic actor, Mm -hmm. like Bill Burr. Add that to the pile of reasons why the Academy is the biggest bunch of shitheads for never respecting comedies. Just add it to the pile. Uh, Favorite scene. As much as I'm such a little baby when it comes to horror and thrillers and stuff like that, I'm just going to have to give respect to that final scene where Mando takes out the crew and the strobing lights. It's just, it's unreal. Like, I finished that episode thinking like, God, that was so amazing. I don't think I'll watch that for a while again. I'm that much of a wuss. It, it kind of like, it was unsettling for me, but not without pure respect for how well done it was and how also very in universe it felt you know it didn't feel like oh somebody's doing a genre flick with star wars right it was star wars and it was yet it was themed in a way that instead of feeling genre it felt like we're just seeing another facet of the star wars universe well and at this point we know how skilled 
he is as a warrior yeah. and as a spy and as a bounty hunter, you know? So he kind of takes a beating a lot too, but he just bounces back. Yeah. yeah. But you feel <laughs> like the, that stealth mode is just another one of his tools, you know? He's got all those finishing moves. He's got get over here. He's got you know, <laughs> flamethrower. Can somebody in our very small listener base, can somebody please find an artist who does great like pixel animation, like retro things, search YouTube, whatever, find somebody and suggest that they do a Mortal Kombat Mando finishing move mashup. Love that. I want to see that. I bet you could find the audio throughout the show too to find the words get over here. <laughs> from Pedro Pascal to put in there. Yeah, that'd be the best. All right, let's hand out medals. The medal ceremony. We polled the patrons, as we always do. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes. We'll do favorite scenes first. Six nominations, because we're doing two episodes. First, we have flying into Tatooine, landing in Docking Bay 35. Not 94, but it'll do. Second, Mando in the most Eisley Cantina, chatting with Toro and Han's seat. Third, Mando destroying the New Republic droids handily during the prison break. Number four, Tarantino-style standoff in the prison ship bridge with New Republic officer, the Egghead. Number five, the Mando's cell block break, hunting the other mercenaries in the shadows. And number six, New Republic X-Wings show up and attack Rand Station. The winner... Of favorite scene with 38% of the vote, the Mando cell block break hunting the other mercenaries in the shadows. Second place with 21% of the vote, Mando destroying the New Republic droids in the prison break. People are about that prison break life. Like we mentioned on the last episode too, it's definitely very video game-ish, you know, yeah. John Wick video game kind of scene. What bums me out is that Tarantino standoff in the bridge which we actually didn't talk about for long enough because it is really great. One vote. Only one. Thank you. Thanks, one one vote, whoever you are. Got one Tarantino fan out there. All right, favorite quotes. First from Mando and the unnamed bounty hunter in the opening scene. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. That's my line. Second, again from Mando. She's got the high ground. She'll wait for us to make the first move. Third, from Pelly. That's right. I know that was really loud for your big old ears, wasn't it? <laughs> Number four, from three different people. Former Imperial sharpshooter. That's not saying much. I wasn't a stormtrooper, wise ass. Wasn't a stormtrooper, wise ass. <laughs> Number five, from May Feldenberg. Well, apparently they're the greatest warriors in the galaxy. So they say. Then why are they all dead? <laughs> and lastly, from Mayfeld again. I wonder what you look like under there. Maybe he's a Gungan. Is that why you so don't want to show your face? <laughs> and the winner with 52% of the vote ran Mando and Mayfeld. Former Imperial sharpshooter. Wasn't a stormtrooper. That's great. There you go, Travis. You win. Winner. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Second place with almost 24% of the vote. Mayfeld again. I wonder what you look like under there. Maybe he's a Gungan and so on. Dude, Bill Burr. I feel like they didn't kill them at the end. One, to kind of make Mando seem like he's growing a little bit. And two, because you can't kill Bill Burr after he killed that episode. Think, you can't leave I him out. I think they'll come back. 
Yeah. I think there'll be some some adventure he needs them on and Yeah, exactly. I, I, he might need them and be like, Hey, I you owe me one. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. be it would be stoked to see especially Bill Burr's character is my, my favorite out of that whole experience and to see him kind of maybe become an ally, you know, and, and turn yeah. to the light, so to speak, like for the good of the mission and protecting the child in some way, like I think that would be really cool. Or at least leaning enough to be like an anti hero that you can yeah, yeah. hate less. For sure. You know? For sure. Before we move out of medals, we haven't mentioned this, and and I would like to give out a congratulations on a real medal that was won. Ludwig Gornson won the Emmy for Outstanding Score in a Drama. Nice. And I, as an aspiring film composer myself, think it is Hell, so yeah. well-deserved because I was watching these episodes today to get ready for this. And, you know, we've talked about kind of the Middle Eastern, Western showdown kind of hybrid fusion sound that he found that's so cool. But as you mentioned, Adam, some of the stuff in particularly episode five was a little more jovial and lighthearted and the pit droids and stuff like that. The diversity of this guy's palette, man, like it felt like a ride, like a, a happy ride at Disney World all of a sudden, you know? Yes. And he hadn't done any music like that for the show yet. There's been some little hints of more major theme stuff for the child, but not like that. Like it's like a whole scene of like kind of fun, goofy Star Wars music. It's orchestrated more, uh, you know, it's less electronic than a lot of the stuff he's doing. So the dude is just wicked smart. That was my best Bill Burr impression. He's from Boston, right? I think I think he's from New England. I went straight to Goodwill Hunting, though, when you said that. Wicked smart. How you like them apples? Wicked smart. Go to Harvard. All right, that that's it. That was my that's a medal for a real medal. Dude, give him all everybody's medals. I am going to find a way to get that talented fellow on this program. I'm going to figure it out. If you got to kill somebody. I really want to talk to him about the music from this show. I'm going to talk to him about any music. I'd just be down just to... Sure, I'll talk too. to him about Michael Bolton. I don't care. <laughs> get him on. All right. When a man loves a woman. Travis, are you down to do a little lightning round? Sure. All right. We're going to put you in the test bay. A major weapons test is imminent. Test bay 94. You may fire when ready. Test bay 94. Either ors, favorite things, and would you rather. Okay. First, either or, bone broth or blue milk for you? Blue milk. All right. We've asked blue milk or green milk before, but you got told the polar opposites. I've actually had the blue milk at Disneyland, and it's uh, deceivingly sweet. It is. It doesn't taste like how it looks. Yeah, they could have chilled out the sugar a little bit, and I would have been all right. Yeah, and it's rather pricey, but, you know, <laughs> Disney. It's also a little thick. It's like it's set in the sun. Right, yeah. Lightly curdled. It's like dense. Favorite things. Outside of the original and prequel trilogy, so we're talking about sequels, the standalone Star Wars stories, and Mando. What is your favorite revisited planet from those original six? I'd say Tatooine, because I think that's probably the planet that everybody's the most familiar with. There's a shot, I can't remember if it was, I think it was episode five, where Mando walks outside of Mos Eisley Cantina. I remember looking at it, just kind of thinking to myself, I could probably navigate my way around here. Just <laughs> yeah. because I'm like... I'm like somewhat familiar, kind of like when you watch a television sitcom in your brain, you kind of know the layout of the family's house. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
you could you could like navigate your way through. I got that same feeling with like Tatooine. Like I know the vibe. I kind of know what's going on. And it was also cool too to see it in an era that we haven't really seen it yet. Hence right. why everything's kind of quiet now. It's not as populated. There is the scum and villainy isn't really that present anymore. So that was kind of interesting to see as well. So yeah, Tatooine. Dope. I'd probably be that guy as well. Would you rather pilot a prison freighter alone for the rest of your career, but there's a Jedi on board that will tell you bedtime stories, teach you the ways of the Force, but you got to be alone otherwise? Or would you rather be a bartender stuck at the cantina on Tatooine for the rest of your career, but you get to rip speeder bikes and pod racers in the dunes on the weekends, ripping and chilling all summer long? Oh, that's tough. I'd probably say prison freighter with a Jedi just because I could pick his brain about being a Jedi, maybe pick up a few things like something that I can apply to life in general. Yeah. Whereas, you know, just hanging out on Tatooine, you know, racing around on speeder bikes. Yeah, that would be fun. And that'd be really cool for a little while. But then I think that would probably get old. You'd feel like you peaked in high school. Right. Yeah. Like, I've been to Bakersfield before. <laughs> it's not far off. No offense to Bakersfield. There's a giant ant at every bar in Baco. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this shit up. What do you have going on that you could tell the people about? Any recent news? I know some recent news about you, but you say it. Well, uh, Atreyu is just about done wrapping up our new album. We're getting mixes back from John Feldman as we speak actually shooting three videos this weekend. Oh, would they give you like 500 bucks for all three? Uh, 595. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, we're rolling in the dough. I just, we, we had a similar experience where we were, we had to shoot three videos and it was like, uh, how, how? <laughs> right. like how, how do you expect <laughs> us to do? Listen, these videos are really important, but we can't pay you to do them. So. Exactly. But this is also coming from mid 2000s. TRL darlings who had a record company spending half a million dollars on one video. It was just absurdity. So to go from that to like, yeah, you have 12 hours to deliver three final videos. Yeah, that's exactly, that's pretty much the situation we're in right now. Yeah. But it'll be fun. You know, it's not like I have anything better to do during this uh, quarantine lockdown COVID situation. Right. But yeah, other than that, just trying not to end up like Darth Maul after he got his <laughs> robotic legs and crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like the, the Atreyu syndicate sounds pretty cool. It does. It sounds hard. Real hard. Definitely. <laughs> Big flex. You guys just announced, I feel like every other week you're like, yo, one of our records went gold again. Oh, yes, we did. We just found out that we have another gold record. Wow. Congrats, so dude. Thank you very much. Three or four? This is uh, number two. Hold up. When did the other one go? Uh, the Lead Cells record went gold to, uh, 2018. Okay. And then uh, our second record, which is called The Curse, uh, just went gold. It only took 16 years, but better late than never. Our first album went gold in the first year and then took another 17 years to go platinum. So similar thing. Well, I mean, humble brag. But yeah, but still, <laughs> it's, but it actually it went gold. It got to like 800 something in the first two years. And then the, remain, the remaining 150,000 took 17 years. So but I mean, yeah, either way you have a platinum record. So 
Yes. Uh, You're yeah, stuck. I, I can't complain. Right. Bayside, yep. no platinum or gold records. Patience <laughs> is it's a big part of being a Jedi. There's not enough years left because of climate change for us to go gold <laughs> or platinum. Dude, all the other yeah. Story of the Year albums are barely aluminum, so. You know, Nick, listen, in your contract, in the fine print, I promise you it says it because they all do. Your records are are owned, but the masters are owned by that record company in in the universe. Yeah. It says that in there. It says, in, in case we colonize yep. another planet, they have you by the balls, so you can't release your own music in on perpetuity. Mars if we colonize yep. it. Yes. So there could be plenty of years with climate change. It could be fine. Like, it could be the fourth generation of Martians. It's going to be like, Bayside's the biggest band on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Still, still just getting your, you know, your 11 points or whatever it is. Yeah, still paying Spotify CEO. Oh, good times. <laughs> Let's wrap it up fully with a quote of the week. This one comes from a person who is at the center of this story, but whose face we, at this point, we don't know if we'll ever see here in chapter five and six. We will. We'll see it. Come on. This person says, I never had an imaginary friend, just imaginary circumstances. I was so into the Indiana Jones movies, and I would constantly reenact circumstances. I broke my left arm three times, two of which were me trying to be Indiana Jones. Pedro Pascal, same, minus the broken arm. Can we just, for a second, respect Lucas for being, like, just such a visionary for characters and stories? Yeah, he didn't direct that stuff, but those are his stories, and Yeah, he, knows. he knows what he's doing. You don't get to sell your company for almost $5 billion and donate all the money. If you aren't good at making up stories. Right. It's not dumb luck. <laughs> Travis, tell us, don't tell us, tell the people who listen to this podcast where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I can be found on Instagram at Travis Miguel. Same uh, with Twitter at Travis Miguel. Not really on Facebook all that much. Good on you. It's that's for uh, olds. I have it linked for business posts only. Like music-related posts. I've never... And it still feels dirty, doesn't it? I don't even know what is on my personal page, which I think is safe, because if you don't use it, what can they can't be doing, you know? No, they're still all up in you. Uh, and Atreyu is uh, at Atreyu Official on Instagram, as well as Twitter, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but, I mean, it's pretty easy to find. Just to Google away. And, uh, yeah, that's where I can be found. If you're looking for the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker1, and most importantly, if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Even if you don't care so much about benefits or this or that, and you just like the podcast and you just want to continue getting this podcast because it does take a few bucks to make and you want other people to enjoy it for free, you could go there, throw us a couple bucks per episode. It all helps for real, very much. We would all be really stoked if at some point someone's like, so what do you do? And you can like really say, I have a Star Wars podcast with my friends. <laughs> Full stop. That's what I do. So just throw a bone, you know? One bone, two bones. My personal stuff on the internet is all at Adam the Skull. If you're looking for the Bill Key late night radio show, you can find it everywhere at William Ryan Key. Billy Key <laughs> on the internet. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Nick Bayside, also on Instagram at Nick Bayside. And you really should see the picture I just posted. It's literally with Boba Fett and Darth Vader, the actual ones. Nice. Not fake at all. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Travis, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And until next time, may the force be with you. Yeah.